Good morning, Harbor. I am so honored and stoked to be here with you guys. It's such a blessing. Uh, yeah, before I begin, I just want to um, say that I am so aware of the weight of delivering the Word of God, being the herald of His Word. So I hope that you will bear with me this morning as I dive in to what He has to say for us and that we can taste and see that the Lord is good. Um, yeah, before I dive in though, um, the topic this morning is suffering. Um, and so I just want to uh, also state that even though I've experienced a lot of suffering in my 25 years on this earth, there is still a lot of suffering that I haven't had to endure, that many of you have had to endure for some of you decades. So I hope that you'd bear with me as I dive into shedding light what the Lord has for us. So let's pray before we begin. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much um, that you love us. Thank you that you're here with us this morning. Thank you that you suffered for us. Lord, I pray that you would teach us through your words, that you would open our eyes and our ears and our minds and our hearts to see you and hear you and feel you this morning. God, I pray that you would bless our time. I pray that your spirit would flow. I pray that you would fill us with your love and with courage to face suffering, to endure when times are hard, and to praise you when times are good and when times are hard. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so this is James chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. When I first read this passage, I was super overwhelmed. There's so many different things that you can say on the topic of suffering. It's massive. There's so many different theological perspectives. There's so many different pastoral perspectives. I was overwhelmed. And so I tried to squeeze them all in my first, my second, my third draft of this sermon. Uh, you'll be pleased to hear that I was able to narrow it down to three main points and three main questions that I have this morning. So the questions are, why would a good God allow suffering? Why would we be joyful amidst suffering? And lastly, what can suffering do to us? I quote, I still hear the screams, Noah. I see the blood. I feel the fear. I hear the gunshots. When I sleep, I dream of him. Every second of pain is a reminder of the fear in their eyes as they slipped into the night. Noah, they were mothers and fathers. They were sons and daughters. I watched as husbands called their wives and said, I love you for the last time. I saw dead children laying in puddles of blood. I gritted my teeth and I shook with anger as my oldest sister, Bonnie Kate, shared with me of the horrors that she experienced in Aurora, Colorado. She was in a mass shooting July 19th in 2012. She will never run, jump, dance, or swim again. I was 15 years old the first time I truly became aware of the suffering and darkness and evil of this world, and I have wrestled with this difficult reality ever since. How could a good God allow this? Why, God? Where were you? I was furious with God for a very long time until I presented my question to one of my high school teachers. I created this big question. I thought I was going to stump him. I said, 
Brian Daigle, Mr. Brian, how could a good God allow suffering? If He's so good, why would He let the people that He loves suffer? And he looked at me wisely and he said, I'll answer your question when you ask it the right way. I was like, this is my question. What do you mean? It's my question. You need to answer it. And he said, no, I'll answer it when you ask it the right way. I said, okay. So I went and I thought and I came up with so many different ways to ask this question. And every time his response was the same. I'll answer your question when you ask it the right way. Eventually, I gave up and I said, Mr. Daigle, what is the right way to ask this question? And he said, the question isn't, how could a good and perfect God allow suffering to those he loves? The question is, how could a good and holy and perfect God allow anything but suffering to those who truly deserve it? As you can imagine, this didn't quite do the trick for me. I was frustrated. I didn't understand the question and it made me even more angry than anything else. But what it did was it made me think. It made me dive deeper into why I was feeling this way. I realized that I was making a few assumptions about God and about man. My first assumption was that I do not deserve to suffer. When G.K. Chesterton was asked to give a response on the problem of the world, he wrote in a letter saying, Dear Sirs, I am sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton. Romans 5 verses 12 reads, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all have sinned. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short. We have broken God's commandments. And when we are truly honest with ourselves, we see that what we deserve is suffering. What we deserve is sin, is brokenness, is death. We run towards the things that hurt us. We run towards the things that hurt those around us. My second assumption was that if God had a reason for allowing suffering, then I deserve to know what that reason was. Have you ever been used? Has someone ever pretended to be your friend to get to someone else or to get something they wanted and then when they got it, they dropped you? This is how we often treat God. When we experience suffering, we try to come up with reasons or things that God is teaching us through it. The difficult reality is, though, He oftentimes doesn't show us why. Most of the time, God doesn't show us why we're going through the trials that we're going through. But we try to come up with a reason so then that we can justify the suffering. The only way that we can love God for who He is and not for what He's teaching us in the moment and not for all these things that we're gaining from Him is to suffer and not know why and love Him anyway and serve Him anyway. This is what Christ did for us. God doesn't always give us a reason why so that we can serve Him and love Him for who He is in Himself and not from what we are using Him to gain. We must learn how to love God this way. We must learn how to love people this way. And the only way to do this is through suffering. And oftentimes through suffering without answers to why. As more time passed, I began to see the pride and the vanity in my assumptions. Tim Keller revealed to me in his book, The Reasons for God, that if 
that if I had a God that was great enough to be angry at for not ridding the world of sin and suffering and evil, then in the same moment, I had a God that was great enough to have a good reason for allowing it to continue and not let me know why. If God is transcendent enough to rid the world of sin, is He not transcendent enough to have a good reason for allowing it to continue and not let us know? That is above our understanding. Isaiah 55 verses 8 through 9 reads, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Although suffering began to make sense to me, I still didn't seem, it still didn't seem worth it. I still didn't feel like it was worth it. I understood why I didn't understand it, but I was far from content with it. And even farther from being joyful in it. Which leads me to my next point. Why would we be joyful amidst suffering? In verse 1, James tells us, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Someone I love died. Count it all joy. I have no true or loyal friends. Count it all joy. They broke up with me. Count it all joy. My family is so unhealthy and so broken. Count it all joy. I can't quit the thing that I know is hurting me and hurting the people around me. Count it all joy. I am treated horribly for things that I didn't do. Count it all joy. I've been abused and I'll never be the same. Count it all joy. I don't feel you at all, God. My life is a mess and I don't know what to do. Count it all joy. I looked inward and I looked outward and all I could see was pain and suffering and death. Saying such as, God's got a plan. God's ways are not your ways. Or count it all joy only made me more bitter and more angry. Why was this not good enough for me? Why do we become so angry with God when things go wrong? Why do we keep allowing the things that we know don't matter in the long run destroy us? I believe that the answer is simple. And it goes all the way back to the garden. We believe Satan's lie. That God doesn't really love us. He tells us, if you give yourself fully to God, He will crush you. He will not be there for you. You will be a fool. You won't be happy. You can't trust God. He doesn't really love you. I knew in my head that God loved me, but in my heart of hearts, I didn't believe it. The reasons that I couldn't handle suffering and the reasons that I often still can't handle suffering is because I believe in the lie of Satan, which is that your God doesn't really love you. Your God's not going to take care of you. You need to do it on your own because you can't really trust Him. He doesn't have your best interests at heart. I believe Satan's lie. What we need to handle suffering well is proof that our God loves us. Where is this proof? How do we know? How do we know that our God loves us? That He'll take care of us? That He'll carry us through? That He'll be there for us? That we can trust Him? How do we know? We know because there was another who cried out, Why God? Why? There was another who was alone and beaten and forsaken. Another who suffered relentlessly and brutally for us and because of us. There was another who suffered without knowing why. 
And He is the only one who suffered fully and completely. And He did this for us. He did this for you. Jesus Christ was the only one to serve God fully and to be crushed so that we could serve Him and not be crushed. Satan is a liar because our God did this for us. He loved us just for who we are. He didn't get anything out of it. He had all glory. He had all power. He had all majesty. And He gave it up for you. Our God loves us. This is how we face suffering. This is how we count it all joy. This is how we dive in to our suffering. This is our proof. And when you know the extent that He loves you, suffering doesn't pull you away from Him. It drives you deeper and deeper into Him and closer with Him. Christ's love revealed to me that my castles were built on sinking sand. The security I had and my family and my community and my strength and my wisdom was gone. My golden calves melted in the fire of suffering. And I started to see how vain I was. I started to see that I was pursuing all the wrong things to find the joy that I so desperately needed. When I put my hope in things, losing them caused me to lose my joy. But when I put my hope in Him, losing things pushed me closer to Him and closer to my true sense of joy. I tried so hard to find my joy in relationships. I tried so hard to find my joy in work. I tried so hard to find my joy in money and status and things and parties and all sorts of foolish things. And I was always left wanting. Everything I loved eventually let me down, eventually hurt me. The God of family did not withstand the fire of suffering. The God of relationships did not withstand the fire of suffering. The God of status did not withstand the fire of suffering. The God of work did not withstand the fire of suffering. No matter how many things that I had, none of them made life worth living when I encountered true suffering. I was looking for God in everything but Him. G.K. Chesterton, I like G.K. Chesterton, he has another good quote. He says, Every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God. I think this is so accurate. I was searching for God in all of these things. Searching for joy. Searching for something to make suffering worth it. Something to make suffering okay. Something to keep me going. I was searching for God in all of these things but Him. Suffering showed me that I had been knocking on the wrong doors to find the joy that I so desperately needed. And losing what I thought I could not live without, I gained the only thing worth living for. A father, a friend, a God who suffered with me and for me. I only found true joy when I had nothing else but Him. This leads us to our last point, which is what can suffering do to us? What can suffering do to us? Suffering is a powerful tool. It's a powerful force. And it can either bring forth life or it can bring forth death. When we suffer without faith, we become hardened, bitter, and resentful. We blame others and we blame God. Suffering without Christ causes our innocent desires to become sinful and eventually destructive. When our desires are not met, we suffer. And when we suffer without believing 
that our God loves us, hunger becomes gluttony, sexual desire becomes lust, and the need for money becomes greed. It's like we are drowning. And in a panic, we drown those around us. Impatiently, we breathe in water instead of allowing ourselves to be brought to the surface because we do not believe God loves us, because we do not believe God will carry us through. We breathe in water instead of air. We swim deeper and deeper into the source of our pain and we become shells of who we were made to be. This is what we do when we suffer without Jesus. We dive deeper and deeper into the source of our pain, seeking for joy. We dive further and further away from what we really need. Although suffering can create a monster in you, right? And make you hardened and bitter and resentful. It's not the only way. And it's never too late. James 1, verse 3 through 4 reads, Because you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. When we refuse to believe Satan's lie, when we suffer and hold fast to to the fact that our God loves us, when we refuse to breathe the water even though we just need some air, when we suffer with faith, something incredible happens to us. You become who you were made to be. You gain a joy that no death, that no pain, that no loss can take away. You become a person with purpose. You become a part of something that is so much greater than you. You begin to see how much you cost Him and His love for you becomes real and tangible because you got a glimpse of the suffering, of the pain, of the loneliness, of the unmet desires that Christ felt for you. He took the breath of water so that we could get the air, so that we could know joy in all things, so that we could become perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We worship a God that allows us to lose what we think we cannot live without so that we can gain the only thing worth living for. Let's say that one more time. We worship a God that allows us to lose the thing that we think we cannot live without so that we can gain the only thing worth living for. So guys, I want to encourage you this morning. If there are things that you feel like you are losing that you can't live without, if there are things that you feel like you've lost, that you can't live without. This does not mean God has forsaken you. This does not mean God has left you. This means that He deeply, deeply loves you. And He is giving you something so much greater, which is true joy, which is true peace, no matter what the circumstances. This is the greatest gift. That no matter what comes your way, you have peace. You have joy. So I want to encourage you, If you're losing things, if you've lost things, lean into His love for you. Do not become hardened and bitter and resentful. Do not shift the blame as Adam and Eve did, but take the blame so that you can see His love and His kindness and His grace and taking it from you. So guys, when we suffer, and we all do, and we all will, may we not become hardened, may we not become bitter, May we look to Him. May we cling to Him. He wept for us. He bled for us. He suffered for us. And when you're suffering, He is beckoning you to come near to Him. It is through our suffering 
that we are united with Christ. That we feel His love for us tangibly and really and literally because we're getting a little bit of what He did for us. Lean into that. I really want to encourage you guys. Lean into His love. So God, so guys, when we suffer, may we count it all joy. My brothers and my sisters and my friends, may we count it all joy when we meet trials of various kinds because we know that the testing of our faith produces steadfastness. And may steadfastness have its full effect that we may become perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This is His plan for you. This is what He's doing in you. And it hurts. And it's hard. And it's a long road. Cling to Him. And you will see that there is a joy that no suffering can rip away. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, um, thank You so much that You love us the way You love us. Lord, may we not believe in Satan's lie when he tells us that You do not love us and that You do not care for us. May we remember that You are good. As we suffer and as we enjoy the good things in life, may we cling to You. May we worship You. May we hold fast to Your promise and to Your love. God, thank You that You took the breath of water so that we could get the air. Thank You that You have filled us with Yourself. You've equipped us to face whatever this world has to throw at us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.